0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wayner your co-hosts. And today we're going to be talking about An interesting question that is probably top of mind for many more people than would like to admit. Um, This is actually a listener question that was submitted. We're going to dedicate an entire episode to talking about taxes and the potential of what taxes may do in the future and how to position yourself most effectively. So two things I want to say before we just get, Bruce, your big picture uh, perspective on this before we dive in. One, I just want you to know if you listen to this show and you have questions that are important to you, please ask them. We love to answer your questions. We love to not only provide information that's helpful, that we think is helpful, it's very beneficial for us to really have an idea of what is most important to you. We're gathering that information through client meetings and through comments on YouTube and emails from from our listeners just like you. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. The more questions and the more of your responses we have, the better we can position um, our content to really be able to be an answer for the things that you're looking for. And secondly, we certainly live in a very unpredictable world. There are forces all around us that are completely out of our control. And yet, how do we strategically make decisions to be in the most control in the position where the world around us is chaotic and a little bit out of our control so that's what we're going to be answering today specifically with this question of what um where is my question let me find my question that i sent to you Um, we're looking at how to pay less in taxes we're looking at if you're concerned about potential tax rate increases in the future how do you how do you consider that how do you maintain as much control as possible today and in an uncertain and possibly rising tax future. And how do you think about retirement or future income in light of potential tax increases? So Bruce, let's hear your big thoughts before we dig in.
0: Well my big thought is is that you also you always have to worry first about don't let the tax wag the dog, tax tail wag the dog. And and a lot of times people are so intent on the not paying any taxes for political reasons or just because they detest government spending, you know, so and so forth that they say, I don't wanna pay any taxes. I I wanna get the investment vehicles that pay no taxes or I wanna get investment vehicles that pay less taxes. And they do it at the extent of maybe not making as much in their investment. Mm -hmm. So what you always have to look at what's called taxable equivalent and taxable equivalent is that concept simply means if you make five percent in a tax-free investment what would you have to make in a taxable investment then pay the taxes to have an equivalent of five percent and that's going to be different for people depending on what they're Tax rate is. So if you're at the highest tax rate of currently 37% plus whatever your state tax rate is, let's just say it's 3% for simple math, so that's 40%, then you're going to have to make something that is at a certain amount, then take the 40% tax off to equal 5%. So Just getting tax-free income is not always the best thing because you could get 20% pay the taxes of 40%. So that would be a tax equivalent of 12% because 8% went to taxes. And that would be a greater return for you than just getting 5% tax-free.
1: Bruce, can you just share real quick, and I know this is probably um, splitting hairs, but for somebody who's trying to say, all right, I hear the numbers, how do I think about this on my own? How do I do the calculation? Wouldn't it be you take your, if you're trying to figure out how much money is going to taxes or um, what rate you need that's a taxable equivalent, wouldn't it be that rate times one minus the tax rate?
0: Correct. Yeah. I think the most difficult thing for people though will be is to figure out what their uh, marginal tax bracket is. Um, Maybe we
1: should talk about that first.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Maybe, maybe we should. So currently there are tax brackets that are scheduled to sunset in 2026. And currently the tax brackets are 10%, 12%, 22%, 24%, 32%, 35%, 32%, 35%, and 37%. So example, if you're a married couple from zero to 20550 in this current tax year of what's called taxable income, and I'll get into that uh, in a second, then you pay 10% on the first $20,550 to the federal government. Then from 20551 or $1 more, to 83,550, you're going to pay 12% on any money that goes over that 20,550, all the way up to 83,550, plus the 10% that you paid previously. And we can continue to go on, 22% is from 83,000 and change to 178,000. 24 is from 178,000 to 340,000. 32% Thirty-two percent is three hundred forty thousand to four hundred thirty-one thousand. Thirty-five percent is four hundred thirty-one thousand to six hundred forty-seven thousand, and thirty-seven percent is anybody that has a taxable income of more than six hundred forty-seven thousand dollars.
1: Now, now, Rachel, first, oh, Rachel this is
0: you know, Just let me clean this up a little bit. This is actually for what's called ordinary income. Mm-hmm. Ordinary income is most of your W-2 income and most of your investment income that is tax deferred and then other types of investments. It's not capital gain taxes, which is a whole nother story. I think we're best to leave for a different podcast. I agree. So Yeah. And so those are the current tax rates. And so what you do is you find out what your taxable income is and this is a really quick 1040 lesson your taxable income is your all your incomes minus your deductions which is either because you itemize you can then deduct your itemized deductions from there or the standard deduction and then if you own a business you you also, you also get what's called a qualified business deduction and then you come up with the taxable income after that, after all the deductions. So what I just was talking about is your taxable income. And then you find out where you are in the bracket. Like example, if you're between 178000 and 340000 the last part of your money is going to be taxed at twenty-four thousand, or excuse me, 24%. Bruce, I just that's wanted
1: to where the
0: taxable equivalent comes from.
1: So what's really interesting, and especially for somebody who's maybe not as familiar with taxes, what's really important to note is that it's not as simple as saying, here's my income dollar amount. Say my income is 300,000. That puts me in a 24% tax bracket and I pay 24% on all my income. That is not true. It's a marginal tax rate. And so what that means is you pay a lesser percentage of tax on the lowest amount of your money. It's easier to show visually. So the small the first portion of your money is a lesser tax bracket. The next portion of your money is a little bit higher tax bracket. The next portion of your money, a little bit higher until you pay the top tax bracket for your taxable income just on the portion that falls within that that range for that top taxable income. So it's the marginal tax rates really help you to understand that not all of your income is taxed at one rate. It's all different rates. It's a range. It's just when you say what tax bracket you're in, it really means what's the tax bracket that I pay the most amount of tax on at the very top of my income. I don't know if that helps clarify anything. Okay, Bruce, I'm not hearing you. I don't know if you're muted. It's
0: actually, it's actually, it's actually at the last portion of your income so whatever gets stacked on at the last part of your income and this is very important when people are trying to determine what whether they're going to spend money i see this all the time with our clients so they say things like oh man i want to take ten thousand dollars out of my ira or out of my 401k or out of my taxable annuity but then i know it's going to push me up into the 24 percent tax bracket or the 32% tax bracket. So like if it's in the 32% tax bracket, all that 10,000 is gonna be subject to 32% plus your state income tax. And so what'll happen is like in Ohio, it's 8%. So 32 plus eight, it's 40. And now they say, gosh darn it. If I take 10,000 out, I have to pay 4,000 in taxes. So what I see all the time is, people in retirement they don't want to take money out of their taxable uh, accounts because they don't want to pay the 40% in taxes which i always tell them that was why you put that money there in the first place
1: now but did you people, mean taxable or tax deferred you said people don't want to take money out of their which kind of accounts
0: well yes i said maybe i said taxable tax deferred but taxable is also that has capital gains but you're right what we were talking about is tax deferred um and you know what ends up happening is people don't do it and they don't enjoy life and it's because they they're really afraid of running out of money contrast that to what we've had we've talked about a lot on this on this show with dr wade fowl before or ourselves is if you had money in what's called a buffer account whether it's just cash in the bank cash under your mattress Um, whether it's a money market account, whether it's a cash-valued life insurance policy, or a Roth IRA, you could actually then access that money without paying any taxes under current tax law. So that is a very advantageous way of looking at things so that you can actually access the proper bucket. Other, other clients now, let's just, let's, let's talk about this. So like in the, in the, the 20, um, the 22% tax bracket goes from 83,000 all the all the way up to 178,150. Now, this is not tax advice. I want to make mm-hmm. sure everybody understands this disclosure right now, but I want to, I want to share with you an example of what a lot of people are doing. Because the current tax brackets and the current tax laws set by Congress are set to expire in 2026. So that 22% tax bracket will now go back to 25% where it was previously. And the top of the bracket will actually come down to 153,000 from 178. So they're actually they will actually shorten the amount of time before you get into the next bracket.
1: meaning that if you have even less income in the future than you do right now, you will be in that higher tax bracket, and that higher tax bracket is going to be a higher percentage than it is currently.
0: Yeah, so let's say we have the top of the the currently the top of the twenty two is one seventy eight, and so we have somebody that is a taxable income of $150,000. So now, this is what's called active tax planning. So now I talk to the people and I say, with our CPAs, and I say to them, hey, you should consider going ahead and taking more money out of your tax-deferred column, pay the rate up to one hundred seventy-eight. So just take 28,000 because their taxable income's 50. Take another 28,000, pay 22% because in 2026 you're going to have to pay 25% to take the money out and anything over 153,000.
1: So you're saying yes, you'll pay tax. But strategically you're going to pay less tax if you divest or take out this tax deferred money today, especially if you recognize that wherever you fall in the tax bracket, if it's not gonna push you into the next bracket, is that what you're saying?
0: Correct. Okay. And you know, I know there's people out there think, oh, well, they're, gonna, they're not gonna raise taxes. And that might be true. Okay, let's just presume in 2026, they say, we think this is good for the United States citizen. We're going to extend this for another eight years, or frankly, they could even make it permanent. But even if they make it permanent, if you strategically take the money out at the tax rate, marginal tax rate that you're in, and not any higher in tax deferred. Then you're paying the same taxes, whether you're taking it out today, next year, the year after, the year after that, the year after that. You're not saving anything in taxes. And because of required minimum distributions, you're, you're always going to empty that bucket after age 72. Now they can change that too. And then finally, for estate planning purposes... Some people will say, well, but I, if I don't take it out, then I can just pass it on to the next generation. But guess what? The next generation under current tax law has to take that out over a 10-year period, not over their lifetime. So now suddenly, if you have a million dollars, you're going to have to take it out $100,000 at a time for 10 years. And it could be more if it grows. But now you're getting, it, it gets put on to the heirs happen to be, in most actuarial situations, at their peak earning years. So think about it. You have somebody that dies at 75 or 80. They had kids when they were 25 or 30. So now we're going back to a 50-year-old or 55-year-old. Or peak earning years. So now all of a sudden they have their highest earning years and they get dumped a hundred grand on top of their peak earning years, which the chance, the chance of going into choices, the next
1: bracket the next is
0: high. Bracket. Right. Right. And so we're currently doing this with one client. Um, she has very successful children, two doctors, a lawyer make a lot of money. She has money that she's not using to live off of. So she is strategically taking the money out up to the top of the tax bracket and then reposition it into a tax advantage growth position in a life insurance policy. Because then when she passes on her estate, she's paid the taxes at her lower rate. Mm -hmm. Her children have to pay. And oh, by the way, she's going to get now instead of passing along 600000 of taxable money, she's going to pass along about 900000 of tax-free money to her children.
1: You so know, these are active, active so tax much.
0: planning situations.
1: There's so much packed into this. And there's a few key pieces I want to highlight. One is that you're talking about active tax planning. And one of the things you can do with that is to minimize your taxable income. That does not mean you need to make less money. So that doesn't mean I'm successful in my business, I need to cut my income in half or I need to take on less clients or somehow reduce my revenue. That's not the answer. You can instead say, how do I strategically position more of my assets in a tax advantaged position? So that's one way. The second way is to increase or maximize your deductions. And both are also active tax planning methods. Bruce, can you just comment on that real briefly? And again, I know we're not CPAs, um but i just want to be able to provide some ideas for somebody to think about strategically how they could do this
0: yeah let's first of all talk about some things that people do that might not be the smartest thing to do so a lot of times i see this with my clients that are not in our tax practice they're with another tax person they will call us up and say my cpa or my tax preparer said i owe in taxes this year. But if I open up an IRA and put $6,000 in it, I actually will not owe any taxes. So they said to talk to your investment advisor, open up an IRA and put that $6,000 in it. And we have a conversation and we say, well, that is a way for you not to pay any taxes this year but all you're doing is deferring the taxes into the future. Let's discuss what your future tax liability is going to look like before we do that. I just want to interject. Oh, go ahead. Say It may be better to pay the taxes now rather than pay it in the future.
1: I want to share something that is very obvious when I say it, but most people don't think this way. Tax deferral sounds fancy, right? It sounds like I'm, avoiding a tax that is that I should be paying it kind of sounds like grace like I I deserve to pay this but somehow I'm getting a free ride or a pass deferral if we really just break down the word it means to postpone and it's better and more logical to really think about taxes from that perspective if I defer a tax that doesn't mean I'm not paying it or I'm getting a free pass it literally means I'm postponing which means on that portion of income I'm not paying today but I will pay in the future And so then that is a guessing game of saying, well, do I think that somehow I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future? Do I think that somehow I'm going to have less taxable income in the future? I'm going to have more deductions in the future. The answer to all of those things is usually no, I'm going to probably either be in a higher tax bracket in the future with more income, or I'm going to have less deductions, or I'm going to be in a position with more success and possibly be in a higher tax bracket. So just, I wanted to just put some of that um, context around the word defer because I think it's extremely helpful to think about postpone is the true meaning of defer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, we have a we have a couple of comments on oh, uh, YouTube. Oh, uh, uh, Alex was saying he, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with not paying taxes. I'm not. I'm not here to make any judgments on this. I'm just saying that if the goal, if your goal is to not pay any taxes because you do not like the way that your particular government is spending your tax dollars, then that's one statement. But if your goal is to build the greatest amount of cash flow or the greatest amount of wealth, then sometimes it's okay to pay the taxes because the taxable equivalent is actually greater than a tax-free equivalent. And so that's all, that's all I'm, I'm mentioning here. Uh, this is, uh, this is another comment. someone on issue? Okay. Uh Alex was just, Alex was just also, and this is, this comes up all the time too, um, with a person not paying taxes. You know, our, our former president, Donald Trump was famous for saying that he didn't pay any taxes in a debate. Or they accused him of not paying the taxes in the debate, and and he said that's because I'm smart. And remember, the tax codes are set up to get the behavior, to get the behavior that Congress wants from the American citizens. So when they when they make real estate very tax advantageous, it's because they want more people to actually build real estate. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When they make it advantageous to do conservation easements, it's because they want more people donating land to the government. When they make gas programs or solar panels, where you can get a deduction, it's because they want more people investing into oil and gas partnerships or into solar panels, or, or when they make it $7,500 tax credit to buy a electric car, they're trying to drive behavior towards that so they're actually designing the tax code for you to pay less money think about that the tax code is just a series of incentives that congress wants to offer people to drive behavior
1: which what's interesting about that is then you could say well, am I being manipulated into certain behavior that's not beneficial to me by getting as much tax benefit as possible? And sometimes that could be true. So it's important to recognize that if you know it's like the carrot on the end of the stick or the treat that's being held out in front of us, you get a tax deduction, we have to really just evaluate, is the tax deduction what we want or is somehow am I giving up my freedom? Am I giving up something that's valuable to me to... Take this tax deduction. So not all tax deductions are going to be the morally ideal choice for you to maintain your long term freedom. So just be aware that if it's good for the government, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. But um, yes, they're definitely trying to motivate and direct behavior. Um, we also have some comments on Facebook, Bruce. I don't think you're seeing this. this is Malik I'm sa- saying, "Wow, Bruce, great info." This was it um, about six minutes ago. I'm not sure exactly what you're sharing right there. And then um, must have a pen and paper every time Bruce and Rachel always giving um, gems, gold, uh, diamonds. I'm not sure what specifically was intended by that, but thank you. Um, so, Bruce, you were talking about the bad tax strategies that are often yes. recommended. Do you, do you want to go back there? I
0: do. I do. I do have another one. So we work with a lot of business owners and and when they can't they come to us They're they they come to us for investment ideas, not knowing that some of the investment ideas actually give them some tax advantages. And traditionally, once again, they, remember, when they go to their CPA or tax planner, they don't communicate really well with them. And, and the CPA and tax planner doesn't re- communicate well with, with the person also that's doing, that, that needs their taxes done. So it's all, when it's often a business owner, they'll say, oh, man, I had a really good year. I don't want to have to pay all these taxes. What can I do? Well, the, the only really thing they can do before the end of the year is they can max out their, their SEP IRA. And I shouldn't say the only thing, these are the most common things. They can max out their SEP IRA or they can buy a large piece of equipment and depreciate it by pulling the depreciation forward. And so, and in one a,
1: case, you're tax deferring, SEP IRA, IRA, you're tax deferring, you're postponing the tax to the future when you're going to take that money out. And in the case of buying equipment, this is taking advantage of the deduction capability for reducing your taxable income.
0: Very good. Very good. Um, the, but what often happens is I, I ask the person, like they say, oh, well, they, they say I should buy a dump truck if it's a construction company. Because it's eighty thousand dollars, I'll get a eighty thousand dollar deduction. And I say, Well, that's great, but do you need the dump truck? <laughs> because if you don't need the dump truck, or the dump truck doesn't produce more and additional revenue than the tax you're saving, then all you've done is affect cash flow for the future years and you've increased liabilities. Mm-hmm. So it's not always about just saving the taxes, no matter what. And I know that's contradictory to what a lot of people think, but you have to actually think through this.
1: Absolutely. let's. Um, there's so many additional things we can unpack, but Bruce, let's kind of come back to that idea of, so if my goal is to minimize taxable income, I can work on re- or increasing my deductions. I can also think about how do I not just put money into tax deferred accounts, but how do I think about tax advantage or tax I mean some people say tax free, but you have to really understand semantics and the words have tremendous meaning and so it's better to say tax advantage and we'll unpack why. But I mean we talk about life insurance a lot and one thing that's really important to note about life insurance is that if you're using specially designed whole life insurance You have multiple components. One is the ability to utilize cash value by taking, by borrowing against your policy, borrowing against your cash value and using a policy loan. And that is the ability to utilize and use your capital without paying tax. So inside of the life insurance policy, your cash value is growing tax deferred. There's that tax deferred word. It means I'm putting my money in now and I will have to pay tax in the future. But if I utilize it through loans and not through withdrawals, then I will not pay tax. So that's why it's tax advantaged. It's truly tax deferred that I can access tax advantaged, which makes my experience tax free, but it's not truly tax free. Then when the death benefit pays out to my heirs, this is different than what you were talking about with the IRAs and the stretch IRA changes and the requirement with an IRA to have your heirs take out that money over a 10-year span of time and when that can certainly often be in their highest income earning years, when you're instead using life insurance as a primary holder or storage tank for capital, when the death benefit pays out to your heirs, that is income tax-free to them, which means it's not going to affect their taxable income. So something I wanted to point out there, um, we also work with CPAs and tax strategists to really help you maximize your deductions. And as a business owner, you have tremendous advantage and opportunity to maximize deductions in ways that are not always just buying an extra piece of equipment, but really thinking strategically about your expenses and your strategy to make sure that you're getting the, you're lowering taxable income by attending to those deductions. Bruce, I know that there's a lot more that we can talk about there, and I'm, I'm sure you may want to share some strategies for um, tax planning.
0: Yeah, well, first of all i want I want people to realize with the um, with the with the permanent life insurance because it can be done with anything whole life it's a lot easier to do um, because you know the guarantees in it but it you can access it tax free even though technically it's growing tax deferred in the form of policy loans and you can actually you can actually access your capital directly to, you don't want to take a loan, up to your cost basis. And cost basis means how much you actually put into the policy in the form of premiums. So that that's no different than when you borrow against any other asset. So if you borrow against your house, get a loan against your house, and use it wherever you want to use it, that is tax-free. You don't have to pay taxes. If you borrow against your business, you get a business loan. And you then take that capital into your business, you don't have to pay taxes on that loan that you you receive. If you're in a margin account in your brokerage and you borrow against the warehouse money to buy more stock, you don't have to pay taxes on that loan. If you can if you just do a signature loan at a bank, the bank gives you just because you're a good, upstanding citizen with credit, and they're gonna give you a loan. You don't have to pay that for income. So it, there's no magic here. If you're just taking advantage of the financial institutions and how the tax code actually works.
1: There's a couple other things I just wanna bring up real quick, um, Bruce, in terms of thinking about potential tax hikes in the future, mm-hmm. you brought up one very important piece, and that's the sunset of the the current tax, um, I don't know what you call it, reform tax?
0: Tax and Jobs Act, 2017 Tax and Jobs Act is set to, um, to actually sunset in 2026.
1: That's right. Okay, so meaning that we're going to see tax Brackets go back to where they were at before this came in in place, and then also the tax thresholds dropping. So, those are that's one reason why we could predict safely that tax rates are probably going up in the near future. There's another thing that's really important to think about, and that is what revenue does the government have? Tax income. That's their source of income. Well, current spending is far higher than their income. And so if you go to, I just want to give you a resource here, the usdebtclock.org. This is fascinating. And every time I pull it up, it's a a little scary, but um, what this shares here is the U.S. national debt is currently at 31 trillion. Last time I pulled it up, I remember when I was sharing a 19 trillion amount here, and that's just scary that it's so high, Um, which then the US federal spending, the official federal spending is at 5 trillion. The budget deficit is one, I think that's trillion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. Thousand million, billion trillion. Yeah. I'm having to count how many (laughs) blocks of three there are to get those numbers.
0: Is it like 1.3 or something like that? Or is it right around 1? One?
1: Um, it's 1.086 trillion. That's okay. the U.S. federal bu- budget deficit.
0: Almost
1: 1.1. And I can share the link for this. So you can see it for yourself. It adjusts in real time, which is also really scary. You see the largest budget items of the U.S. government. And that's, um, there's Medicare and Medicaid at 1 trillion. Wait, one. T- Social Security, defense and war. Then there's an the interest on debt. Then you look at the unfunded liabilities, which are also just tremendously yeah, that, those, high.
0: Those are the worst, because if you look at Medicare, and Social Security, unfunded liabilities, they dwarf. They dwarf the current deficit. Oh uh, yeah. Excuse me, current debt. Well, they they dwarf the current deficit too. But um, future unfunded liabilities mean that for this year, we don't have enough money. To pay for medicare and social security but as the population continues to get older and medicare has a lot more liabilities it's going to be a lot more in the future to have to pay for and that and that deficit's going to grow grow grow
1: and then i haven't looked at this in a while and i didn't pull it up before the show but if you look at the number of people in each generation the number of people in the retiring generation that's going to be utilizing social security and Medicare is much higher in volume than some of the generations which are employed currently, which are the ones contributing into that system. And so you just look at a disparity, not only um, in the uh, inability of the government to continue to uh, pay on its promises to do certain programs that they've set in place. And so when you look at that from a big picture perspective it it indicates then higher taxes needed in the future to sustain the current programs
0: yeah and i think where you were going with all this it's not all about um setting the tax brackets higher yeah you can also you can also eliminate some of the deductions and frankly in the 2017 tax and jobs act a lot of people at the lower end actually made um, are paid less taxes than people at the higher end. So you always hear about all oh, the people at the higher end need to pay more taxes. Well, there was a cut from 39.6 to 37% in the Tax and Jobs Act, but they eliminated uh, some of the deductions. The greatest one is they capped, they capped state taxes personal property taxes and any other type of municipal taxes they capped it at only ten thousand dollars where before they were what they were so if somebody had made a lot of money let's say a million dollars and they had eight percent or eighty thousand of state taxes like in the state of ohio i keep using the state of ohio because we i just talked to a couple of clients in ohio um Then that means they normally could have put $80,000 down as a deduction, but now because it's capped, Mm. the most they could put down was only $10,000. So they missed $70,000 worth of deductions. So thus they paid, that group of people actually paid more in taxes Mm. from the 2017 Tax and Jobs Act. So you have to look at the deductions, the exemptions in the tax bill, not the just the marginal tax brackets, Mm. because it's about taxable income.
1: One other thing is that they change not only the brackets, but also the thresholds. And Bruce, you mentioned this with the sunset of the 20 or in 2026. But for instance, if you look at the top federal tax brackets over time, there's a, a few key Times when big changes happened, and um I'm not going to go into this deeply, but if you look back in nineteen forty one the top ta- top tax bracket was eighty one thousand and that to get into that eighty one sorry did i say eighty one thousand i mean eighty one percent and to get into that top tax bracket eighty one percent sounds gigantic, but to get there, you had to have over five million dollars in income There was not very many people making five million dollars in taxable income in one year in 1941. However, keep the threshold in mind. The, the bracket is 81 percent. The threshold though is five million. The very next year, 1942, the bracket went from 81 percent to 88 percent. Okay, well, seven percent increase. That's still super high because we're almost to 100 percent tax rate. but the threshold went from five million down to 200,000. Meaning, if you made $205,000 in that year, you just went, you're now in the highest tax bracket. Whereas it, you weren't anywhere close to the top tax bracket the year before. And so the point that I like to make when we talk about taxes at all is that we don't really have a crystal ball, but the government has a lot of ability to change the rules, change the brackets, change the thresholds, and none of that is exactly in our control. And I should just say it's not in our control at all. We don't make those policies. We don't have the ability to say, I don't want this to happen. So therefore, it's not going to happen. And so that's not in our control. What we can do then is do active tax planning and really think about the ramifications and make strategic decisions to minimize taxable income, to be in a position of not allowing the tax tail to wag the dog though, and planning so that you can utilize and keep as much of your wealth as possible, not have it eroded. By taxes in your lifetime and when you pass it to the next generation
0: yeah and Rachel, I just think I think it, to wrap up to wrap up the show just before we i forget about this you can't make these changes well, you can make small changes but you can't make the majority of changes for a particular tax year before April fifteenth of the next tax year when you're when your tax return is due. It has to be prior to December 31st of the tax year you're in. You can make small changes, you could, they, they allow you to, to contribute to your IRA, which is not that significant. But if you wanna make any kind of these active tax plans or invest in the things that are gonna get you a tax advantage, then it has to be done before december thirty first at midnight of the of the year that you want those tax advantages so that that's where the active of tax planning comes in you don't wait until you you actually do your tax return in the next year before April fifteenth you have to do it actively before
1: so what you're saying is when the ball drops and we're all celebrating the turn of the new year, that is the time when it's now over for you to have made changes for that past year that would affect your tax your tax your taxes and what you're going to end up paying in taxes so you could think of that as your hard deadline so you have time it's october 26th right now you have time to make tax changes for the year 2022 for these taxes that will be then paid next year when you're doing all your filing and stuff in in next year in 2023 for this year, you currently have time to make those changes. Um, Bruce, is there anything else you want to talk about with tax strategies? I don't know if you want to touch on this here, or we can push this to a different show. Um, many of our listeners may not necessarily be thinking about Social Security income, but sometimes they may be thinking that you know there's there's changes with how much of your income is taxable. I don't know if you want to mention or touch on that, or we can leave that for the future as well.
0: No, I mean we could touch on it because even in the future, it's it's a fairly complicated. Formula, and this is a, and because we don't espouse necessarily into retirement,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it's going to be very difficult to get this to for very successful people. But there's something called provisional income, and provisional income is how Social Security deta- determines, or I shouldn't say Social Security, the Treasury Department, the IRS determines how much of your Social Security is going to be taxed. So what they take is they take one half of your social security income and then add it to the rest of your income. And then there's thresholds. And if you go over the threshold, you have to pay 85% on your social security. So most people end up paying taxes on 85% of their social security. And then from there it goes, it can go down all the way to zero in order to get it to zero and and at this time when we're doing this i believe i'd have to check the threshold but i believe it's $44,000 for a couple that their provisional income cannot go over $44,000. So example, half of your social security income plus your your other income, it doesn't go over 44,000, then you pay 0% on your social security. As far as federal income tax.
1: Which again is not going to apply to most of our listeners, but something interesting to note, and it may be helpful for you if you're listening and you have parents that are um, parents or even grandparents, depending on your age and your parents and grandparents generations age uh, and whether they're taking social security or relying on social security. And so that can be part of a, a generational conversation too, where you may think, well, how do I help my, my parents' and grandparents' generation think differently or be strategic so that their resources can go as far as possible to take care of them as well.
0: Yeah. And, and finally, for me to close the show, um, I think there's another thing that you have to really worry about when you're doing tax planning. And these are what's called the IRMA brackets and the irma brackets irma stands for income related monthly adjusted amounts <laughs> okay what that what that means yeah what that means is that normally you would just pay everybody pays the same on medicare b and part d part b is for your doctor's care part d is for your drugs But several years ago, they actually put these IRMA brackets in. They're separate from the federal tax brackets. But it's important that you know this because if you go up over these different brackets in IRMA, you have to pay more for your Part B and Part D for your Medicare. It gets substantial. So just let me give you an example you might pay $170 for Part B. But if you go over the last threshold, you might pay $540 for Part B. And if you're married, that's for both. (laughs) So $170, $170 if you're married, if you go over the threshold, now you're paying $540, $540.
1: That's significant, yeah. It's
0: very significant. And the worst part about it is there's no phase-out. You go $1 into the bracket, you, you get that complete increase. So now when you're doing active tax planning and you might be taking additional income because you're going to go ahead and pay the taxes now, you also have to worry about, am I pushing myself up into another IRMA bracket? Now I'm saving on, I'm paying taxes now so I don't save, I save on paying additional taxes in the future. But now I cause myself to pay more in Medicare Part B, Part D. So you really have to have a professional help you determine all these moving parts to really save the most money as possible.
1: So Bruce, um, I'm going to have you answer this. If somebody is listening right now and they're saying, "Okay, you guys are saying you're not tax professionals, but you seem to clearly know a lot about tax," and I'm interested. The person listening is saying, I'm interested. I, I really want to make sure that I'm making the best strategic tax decisions. I'm coordinating my financial strategy with my taxes and making sure that I'm set up well, that I'm thinking about my parents. We can help you with that. Can you just speak to how they can reach out to us and what support they can receive from us in order to be able to help them strategically answer those questions for themselves?
0: Yeah. So if you get on our website um at hello at the moneyadvantage.com. you can send us a question but you can also get on our calendars and then we actually have a network of tax professionals that you could pay to actually do an analysis for you and that's the best way to actually do it and you also have to be willing to have an open mind and be willing to talk to your then own tax professional and say, I would like to implement these changes. Because what I find all the time, Rachel, is people have a, a relationship with their tax professional, but that tax professional only worries about taxes. They do not worry about integrating all of your wealth network into that tax preparation. And so when somebody from the outside brings them something to suggest, they get all defensive and say, oh, that, don't, that doesn't work, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So you have to be, don't sign up if you don't have an open mind and don't sign up unless you're willing to take these strategies very, very seriously.
1: Bruce, I love how you shared that. So let's just recap. If you are interested in thinking through ways for yourself personally to minimize taxes, especially in an uncertain or tax hike environment in the future, and you want some guidance and some help, you can book an appointment, go to themoneyadvantage.com. You can book directly on our calendar with our advisor team and be able to get inside of a conversation where you can dialogue about your needs, your concerns, your taxes, your tax bracket. We can look at your situation and then refer you and connect you with our integrated resource network that is providing that professional guidance to support those goals. The other piece, Bruce, that you mentioned is that sometimes it can be difficult to feel like you're cheating on one relationship to go get additional guidance or to learn something new. And it can be difficult because maybe you have a great relationship with a CPA or tax planner already and you you're like, well, hey, they've been serving me pretty well. I, I can guarantee you that almost everyone we've talked to always says I have a great CPA. That's That's the the words that come out of their mouth. Now, usually there's multiple things. Either they they have a great relationship, which is possible. There's another piece that they're saying, well, I'm using strategies and I want to feel as confident as possible about those strategies. And I don't want to second guess. I don't want to doubt. I don't want to think. Maybe I haven't been taking advantage of the tax code in the most strategic way possible. And so it's easiest just to say, well, I don't know a lot about tax, but my tax person's great. They're handling everything. And those all lead to wanting to maintain that relationship. And we're not suggesting that you just leave all relationships behind, but it is important to, if you're going to make the best decisions, sometimes that does require a little bit of stepping outside of the comfort zone that you currently have and truly being open-minded as Bruce was sharing. So, um, Thank you for listening today. Thank you for asking these questions. I'm going to encourage you if you are listening and you have questions about anything we've touched on today. Taxes, investing, insurance, cash flow, estate planning. I mean, what else do we talk about Bruce? Everything, mortgage, um, um, tax strategy, anything. We run the gamut of really talking about income and finances in a way that helps you maintain as much control as possible. Please ask your questions. Please let us know what, how we can address your needs and your concerns on this show, and we love to do that. So hop on over to send us an email at hello@themoneyadvantage.com, at or you can comment wherever you're watching this video. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Bruce, for sharing your prolific wisdom. I I love being able to do this show with you and provide tons of value. Thank you for listening. And in closing, please remember: success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time.